Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers. There's a bit of a competition here, as listeners might know, where we try not to earn points in the This Film Not Rated gauntlet. If you are able to get out of there without earning a point, you will be in our Hall of Fame for doing the impossible, being objective about a movie, but more about that later, and a dog marching. But the real reason why we're here, Eric, what did you watch this week? Okay, the, mo- the movies I want to talk about this week. I want to dive into Nobody, which is a movie that I never thought I was going to talk about. That stars Bob Odenkirk. That's the one that looks from the outside like just remaking John Wick. And Identity, starring John Cusack right. and Ray Liotta. Rest oh. in peace. I no idea he was in there. This week, I watched uh, Top Gun Maverick, like I said I would uh, earlier in the podcast, and then Mommy. So I'll be talking about that as well. Well, let's start. Let's start with the positives. Tell me about Top Gun Maverick. Is it everything everyone is saying it is? Um, I think for the most part, yeah. Like, like uh, the opening is is almost verbatim, like this the same shot in the same field, the, the exact same musical score as the original one. Uh, the only difference is that instead of it being Top Gun, it's Top Gun Maverick as as the title. It starts to diverge from there because at, at the beginning of Top Gun, it's it's the it's the Maverick and Goose story. They're always a pair. They're always together. This one opens up Maverick alone. He's driving to a facility where he's testing a a new plane to get up to Mach ten, and uh, it's about to be uh, shut down because uh, humans are no longer viable. They're trying to get uh, drones in. And uh, not wanting to let anyone down, because I think he's still feeling like past guilt from Goose's death, he puts himself in serious danger, like almost killing himself during this uh, Mach 10 test to save these people their uh, jobs. And so it, the movie is, for the most part, him dealing with that kind of survival's guilt thing while also having this estranged relationship with Rooster, Goose's son. So, like, for comparison, there are there are scenes. You have a bar scene in Top Gun where it's it's a... Uh, Maverick and, and uh, Goose kind of chumming it up. Maverick hits on a girl. That bar scene is Maverick alone in the bar with the same girl trying to re- rekindle something. But it's just him. You get the sense of isolation. And that's a, that's a thing that is constant throughout the movie. Is On the surface, this movie is about getting a new group of Top Gun pilots trained to go on this highly dangerous mission. Uh, and it's it's Maverick's job to make sure that they come back alive. Below that, it's Maverick reconnecting with Rooster, Goose's son, and kind of reestablishing the father figure that Goose wanted Maverick to play for him, uh, but was estranged at some point. And uh, also, you get a bit a little bit of Mission Impossible in there. Like I, I I honestly feel like this could be another Mission Impossible movie because the way the mission goes, you have to follow a very specific set set of rules, and if you're one minute off, you're dead. Hmm. Uh, so it, it's again Tom Tom Cruise being uh, Tom Cruise when he's making a film yeah. but I think the big thing that I want to talk about outside of the story is just like how they had to make the film because we, we discussed this I think a week ago where they, they're they flying real F-14s they had 4K cameras set up inside the planes so what you're seeing is the pilots actually flying IMAX cameras yeah they're, they're, they're IMAX cameras and they had to uh, it's, it's shot in an IMAX resolution hmm uh, dorky ass fun fact for people who you know are willing to just skip ahead thirty seconds if you want. Um, 
about 8K is where pixels start to mesh with the resolution of film cells for 35 millimeter. Mm. So even though you're getting the aspect ratio that works, and honestly, the reason they still render things in 2K for digital effects, I found out, is because most people can't really tell the difference between 2K and 4K when you're sitting projected in a theater. When, you know, the image is as decompressed as it is, you really can't tell the difference. But yeah, that was the thing. I think that that was a, a Tom Cruise, like, if we don't do this, I'm not doing the movie type thing. I'm not positive on that, but he has, like, those weird conditions where if he's not in, in, in control of how scenes are shot and done, he's, he's more than he's more likely to walk out of a movie. This is one of those things I feel like. I think he's more of a filmmaker than people give him credit for. I think when people talk about Tom Cruise taking over a film set, they mm. talk about him like he's stepping in yeah. and taking over. Yeah, and something happened at the beginning of this movie that happened at the beginning of uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, where before the movie starts, it's Tom Cruise in front of a camera thanking you for coming to see the movie in theaters and talking about how this is how it's meant to be seen. Thank you for coming out and watching this on the silver screen. It's like John, so he, he really cares about making movies for the theater. Tom Cruise is is in league with people who are a huge fan of the cinematic experience, people respecting the cinematic experience, That where you're in a room and there's a weird hum connected between everyone who is experiencing the same feeling. And then when you see someone who's not you have your same feeling and you're all on this same vibe, a shared experience gives like meaning because everyone kind of agrees and is in like a, th- it's like a weird kind of uh, hive mind experience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cruz acknowledges in a video that an unfortunate side effect of motion smoothing is that it makes movies seem like they were shot on high speed video rather than film. But when, when people make a movie, they're hoping people will get a certain experience and motion smoothing allows, uh, when you shoot a camera to intentionally make one image comes after the other at a certain speed so that there's a certain amount of motion blur. Mm-hmm. And then the television can digitally scrub out that motion blur and change what they shot. Yeah. It's like, you're not watching the movie they made. That's his feeling that he wants people to please don't, not do. So, like, right. it was around when Fallout came out on 4K. He was like, if you do this, please shut off motion blur. But, you know, Tom Cruise has basically been a producer and making his own movie since 2000. Yeah, uh, uh, he's had a, a, a big hand in, 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 in casting and making, I think, directing choices. Yeah, uh, but it's like every single other producer. Like, he's, yeah. he's just short of actually being a director. Yes. He's, it's his movie. Yeah, I, I don't know? think that, cha- and I, I don't think that, that, that changes with uh, Top Gun Maverick at all. Because right. uh, this falls, the way that, that it's uh, shot, like like visually... It almost feels like I'm watching an 80s movie in, cool. in modern day times. Uh, the only difference, and I'm actually I'm I'm actually pleased about this. It, the The score is a is is more traditional, so you're not getting bombarded with like either modern day pop hits or like with Top Gun. They don't the, play Danger Zone. I mean, they do, nice. but it's very specific. Uh, and the rest is a traditional score. And like I, I felt vindicated in in that. That was my main complaint, and I thought that if you gave it a more traditional score with the first one, it, it would make it an overall better, um, a better film, and I felt like I got that with, 
with the Maverick. Yeah, that's that's the thing I'm hearing a lot with this movie is basically every choice you could have made to make the first one better is made here. And it doesn't stop short of being all of a sudden making that a sort of like iconic character, iconic sequences. Like if Top Gun was one of the best movies of its time and you mm-hmm. no pun intended top it. Right. You then make one of potentially the best films made quote unquote you know right action movies right. at least what people would think yeah and so, that's what people are saying some people yeah. so now I'm, I'm gonna go into a series of questions here just to see if 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 if, if uh, you get the same feeling that, that that i did so we have a, a movie uh with a returning uh main character is desperately trying to protect uh his friend's son uh actively pulled his papers to keep him out of the uh, navy for four years because he didn't feel he was ready, uh, puts him on this deadly mission and goes along with him as team leader. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, Tom Cruise is going to die. That's what I thought. Doesn't happen. Cool. I mean, why, but, why would it? I, 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 I know, but like the way it, it, it's not even just that. Like it, it's, I mean, it, it, it's that it's him talking to his old flames, promising her. I'm never going to walk out of your window again. So it's setting up all these pieces that, that are like screaming, this He's character gonna is going to die. Yeah. And then, no, Rooster comes back for him after his plane goes down. They find an old F-14. Uh, they have this, like, like really sentimental bonding moment flying the F-14 out of enemy territory where uh, Maverick's saying, uh, flip this certain breaker. Well, I can't find that. There are a lot of switches. Which one is it? I don't know. It's more your dad's job. Well, that's the hard part about... When you're getting into trying to like watch movies actively and, and be critical of movies and whatnot, there are patterns and there are familiar things and there's all this stuff, yeah. right? Sometimes you lose the sense of being on the other side of just trying to tell a story. And I do that all the time where it's like, yeah, okay, so if someone starts to telegraph things and it's about as subtle as Gwen Stacy's speech in Amazing Spider-Man 2, <laughs> like, yeah, she might as well have just read to the class. All of you are going to live great lives and I'm going to die. Like she, Yeah. No, this was like laying a trail of, of breadcrumbs right. to lead you to a thought and then subverting that thought. But I, I can understand it feeling that way. But also just because film language, you notice things and it leads you that way. It also could be the story of something that we don't get a lot, which is a hero making promises and then actually following through on them. Right, which is why I liked it. Yeah. Uh, as far as, like, the actors go, like, you get the real sense that, that they're, like, throwing in, uh, for these new pilots, they're they're throwing in characters that are meant to remind you of uh, the, 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 the old ones. So, like, Hangman is, is clearly the Val Kilmer stand-in, despite Val Kilmer being in, still in here as, as, as Iceman. Really like his scene. But uh, Hangman is clearly the Val Kilmer uh, stand-in. Goose is actually the Maverick stand-in, despite, mm-hmm. again, Maverick being there. Uh, difference is, like, I had a... Rooster? Cle- Go- Goose's son. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You said Goose was the Maverick stand-in. I didn't... Oh, sorry. I, I meant Rooster. But, uh... Difference is, like... It comes down to, like, character writing and, and, and development. Uh, I had a clear understanding of, uh, of Iceman's character. Not long after I, I saw him and I could see the growth and where he was coming from. Uh, Hangman, from the beginning, seems like he's only in it for the glory. 
there's no real development for him outside of them playing this game of but uh, what what Maverick calls uh, a dogfight football, where you're playing offense and defense at the same time. Okay. Yeah. And so you get this scene where where all these rivals are now chummy and like building camaraderie. How and it's sweaty quick. were they? Were they very sweaty? They were shirtless and sweaty. Okay. So that that's the volleyball scene. <laughs> but I no love one, it. But no one goes to someone's house af- afterwards and asks if they could use their shower. They they seem to think that was unneeded. I mean, it is <laughs> unneeded. It is. Uh, that sweat should be caked on them all the way till they're done with their mission. But I'm interested in this. I want to know the answer to this question. They actually go through with whatever the mission is they're preparing for. Yep. Instant improvement for me over the original person. Right. <laughs> the first one is great for the story that they're telling. Right. But... It's but like that story is where training to be the best. This is they're already the best. They've already gone through the training. Now they're training for this mission that no one's had the experience of piloting before. Mm-hmm. And Maverick, who is quote unquote their best pilot outside of Iceman, who is permanently grounded, is now training them to do it. Mm-hmm. So why would you watch it again? I would watch this again uh, for similar reasons to, uh, to the original Top 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 Gun. It's a, it feels like a really good summertime popcorn movie, but there's just a little bit more of a cinematic flair to it for me personally that I would watch it over the original Top Gun. Do you it. feel like it's worth the money and the trip to go out and see it in a theater like in IMAX and... I haven't seen an IMAX. I want to, though. So I, I, I think it is, personally. But uh, I, I do think it's it's a movie that probably should be seen in theaters. Okay. So, I'm going to talk about a movie that I wish I'd seen in theaters. And I did not expect to love this movie. It and looked a lot of fun from the trailers that I saw. Well, I was heavily, as you might remember, my experience was I was heavily, heavily disappointed by the trailer. Right, because it looked like just another coating of John Wick. I no, think. yes, because the the trailer opens, okay, mm-hmm. with something that is so fascinating and relatable. The idea that someone broke into your house, you didn't do something about it, and the rest of one is just saying, if it would have been me, I would have. <laughs> and it's just eating at you and eating at you and eating at you until you snap. Right. That story alone, I would pay multiple times to see in theaters. Okay? Just to watch someone, to have that crack, to be in a dark theater and just finally see someone like snap back at that attitude that people have, mm-hmm. I would I would love it. And then they go. But they didn't know he was a dormant secret operative the entire time. Right? Like, <laughs> Sounds like cheesy B-movie kind of stuff. I, I struggled for multiple months to unroll my eyes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was it was frustrating. And, and honestly, the more they unfolded, and then when I found out it was the same writer as John Wick, I was like, uh, okay. Oh, so all the warning signs were there. Yes. But here's here's the thing. Here's why I wanted to watch the movie. Um, I was exercising, and it was on HBO Max. Checks out. Can't can't do something else, you know. I, I can't, you know, do a, a lot else while I'm exercising. But hey, it'll you know maybe have a couple of action scenes that are that are aspiring to be John Wick. It might be a little fun, whatever. Mm-hmm. Curtis, ah, uh, this movie is fantastic. Like nice, and 
that's pretty close to a rating. I don't care. I I enjoyed so much the experience of watching this. Bob Odenkirk plays exactly that story that I wanted to see. Even though he's secretly some, you know, cryptic badass or whatever, they never, ever tell you what it is. Okay. Which is exactly what I would want. They never tell you. The closest you get is he has a tattoo on his wrist of a hand of cards. It's a seven and a two. Mm -hmm. And because someone sees that, they go... Everyone is about to, like, turn around and beat him up, and he's holding a wad of cash, and he's, like, begging people to try and take it from him because he's so on edge. He wants someone to give him an excuse. And the guy is just, like, gets up like he's going to intimidate him, sees the the, the tattoo. tattoo, and is like, thank you for your service. Walks out and spends, like, 30 full seconds locking the door from the other side. <laughs> It's very close to that moment from John Wick where you have the guy go, oh. Like, just because someone says it was John Wick. Right. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the scene it reminded me of from, from John Wick is the police officer coming, saying, uh, You working again? There's something like that. Again, whoever this writer is does an excellent job of leaving just enough mystery to the world that allows this person to be this character that you're interested in it. But yeah. then I don't want a sequel. Um, so you don't want a John Wick two for this one. I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want a nobody two. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's it's exactly that. Just a couple of people come in and he, he discloses to the man who talks to him through his radio um, that he didn't act, even though he had an opportunity to to swing a golf club at one of the invaders, uh-huh. because they were just like twenty somethings. And when he looked at the gun, he knew exactly what kind of gun model it was. And most importantly, he could see that it was unloaded. And it was just a couple of scared people who were just pulling a thing. And he let them get away with what they were getting away with. But then you just see it eating at him and digging at him. And you learn the story of why he chose to settle down. And it's just, you realize he's someone who's constantly on edge of living these two different lives. And yeah. it's it's so simple that like it doesn't revel in this in this like okay so they set up that he works for his wife's father at a company uh-huh. and he wants to buy the company from the father but the father's like oh we'll see how that works out i heard what happened and then the wife's brother works at the office and he's like here i'm giving you this gun because you need to protect my sister you know and like you know these things are being set up to be paid off you know the idea is you know yeah but it's just the, the way that that pays off is just here's a bag of gold get the fuck away from me and the brother's like what are you doing this is supposed to be my and he just punches him in the, like the pelvis in the bladder <laughs> and he's like sit down sit breathe okay all right you're gonna be okay deep breaths and he like sets him down and he's like all right we're done shakes the guy's hand and it's used for an entirely separate purpose than him staying and owning it he burns his life to the ground and leaves it behind Oh wow! So with his family, like he's so okay. So he's not alone. He's taking his family with him. Yeah. Okay. And that... the neighbor and the neighbor's car. <laughs> it's, it's just so like the whole thing. You never learn. You learn what his job was. You learn enough to know why he can do what he can do. But it, it's and the, here's the other great part. There were only three or four action set pieces the whole movie. That's it. Everything else is montage and choice of music to flow and progress like okay so 
you open the movie, you get introduced to him. He's got a cat in his coat and he starts feeding it tuna, you know? Ooh. So it starts with the typical, like, light a cigarette, the police are interrogating him, like, eh. But then, so he pulls out a lighter, he pulls out a cigarette, he pulls out a cat, he pulls out some tuna. You're like, okay. And then they ask you, who are you? He says, nobody. And then you, you see his life. You see Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then one night, the tent scene, people come in and they... Do that. Mm-hmm. And then you just flow from person to person, showing off how they do it better. The police officer's like, if it had been my family. And then the neighbor's like, if it had been my house. And then the dad's like, pulls a gun on him and is like, you need this gun. And the father's like, I don't know, we'll see. And judging and judging and judging. And the guy's about to crack, about to crack, about to crack. And he goes hunting down the people who stole his mm-hmm. watch and his money from him. And he manages to rein himself in at the last second. And then he gets on a bus and then a bunch of drunk people in a car pulls up next to the bus and crashes the car. So they get out and they get up to get on the bus and he's like, please get on the bus. Okay. There's, there's narration, but there's only like five lines of narration, the whole movie. It's Mm. perfect. And so they get on and the first thing that happens is he gets punched square in the face and almost falls over. Mm. He, he fights like a human being. He doesn't immediately fight like John Wick. Okay. But he wins. Like, you know, okay. everybody. Yeah. And then, and then I almost was like, eh, and checked out when that kid turns out to be the son of a Russian mob boss and blah, 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 blah. And like, here he comes and blah, 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 blah. Okay. No. No. Okay. Montage of him. Preparing for the dude to come, one action set piece in the house where he takes them out. Montage of him burning down that dude's whole business and life. He sits down and he has a one-on-one conversation. He's like, okay, you're screwed. And you came in my house and you know you're not supposed to do that and I'm screwed. I can rebuild my life. You can rebuild your life. We're done. And then he goes out and he sits in his car and he crosses his fingers and he's waiting. Praying that the guy will come out after him. And or crossing, who knows why he's crossing his fingers. It's left ambiguous and that's kind of the great thing. Dudes come out, action set piece trying to deal with the dude. Mm. Montage of him getting his family to leave, burning the house, taking the car away. He goes to have a final showdown with the boss, his father, Christopher Lloyd, and the guy from the radio who he's talking to show up. They have a final showdown at the warehouse. End of movie. Mm. Cool. It's just... Seems it's just like, like one string of events leads to the other. It's just so simple. And that was the beautiful thing about John Wick. They killed his dog, so he kills everyone. The music choices were probably, for some people, like, too on point or cheesy, but I I didn't care. Because this movie isn't trying to sell itself as something it's not. It's barely an hour and a half long. It Mm -hmm. just does what it wants to do Mm -hmm. and ends. And it was satisfying. I think it's uh, time to move on to Mommy. Mommy. This is a movie that you've been wanting me and, and Samia, your wife, to watch for a while now. Because you didn't want to be the only one who, to, who had experienced it that you knew. That is not why. I'll get to it. You talk I, you first about why. So, you, yeah. The reason you watch it is because I made you. That's I mean, yeah, Yes. So. I mean, yeah, the reason why I watched is because you, you made me. Uh, the thing that got me hooked, like, before you watched it, you were describing the, the film. And the thing that caught my attention was how you said it was shot. In one-to-one aspect ratio. One by one. And that 
is instantly what caught me. I thought it might be up because uh, you know I I I I mentioned this after we watched it, but whenever someone shoots in a unique aspect ratio like like that, I'm automatically thinking, okay, well, what what's the reason for shooting it in this specific way? Uh, there is a young, I'm just gonna go ahead and say, auteur director named Xavier Dolan. Uh, he is Canadian, I believe, French Canadian. I'm not sure. I could be wrong. It's been a long time since I got really hooked into wanting to see more of his things. I don't think he's directed a movie that hasn't received standing ovations and all this kind of stuff. I think there was this thing that happened at either Cannes Film Festival or something like that where there was a Jean-Luc Godard movie up against either Mommy or his next movie. Uh And um, the grand prize went to his movie and it was like the first time Jean-Luc Godard didn't win for something that he did. There was something like that, you know? Um, I, I don't know all the details of that, but it's worth looking up. A listener has seen Xavier Xavier Dolan show up. Dolan? I'm terrible. You know, for for people who really make me passionate about movies, I sure as hell don't know a lot about how to say their names. (laughs) um, Yep. He was in Bad Times at the El Royale as the singing coach for uh, the lead um, singer Mm -hmm. lady in that. And then he was in It Chapter 2 as uh, the member of the gay couple who does not get thrown into the river at the beginning of yeah. the 2019 movie. Mm. And this is this is the furthest he's branched into like mainstream American Hollywood cinema. But he's a passionate, passionate, passionate actor. And acting is, is like the whole craft. And, and like everything about filmmaking to him is about like expression and the art of expression. And he... The the process, the way that he describes building his movies off of scrapbooking scenes and tones and feelings and sitting with actors that he cares about and just like observing people's affectations and 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 people watching as a passion and for developing it. Yeah, like, that that comes through really well in in, in Mommy. All, all the little subtle mannerisms that 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 come across with these characters like uh you and samia were talking about the thong sticking out of the mom's uh pants at one point uh, <laughs> it's no it's the tucking it in like like randomly like the yeah. way she's she's the way she's grooming herself to put herself together to walk across the road because she cares about the perception of her by some people like it, that's yeah. a it's a weird detail to jump into but that's right. yeah it's laughing with your bottom lip pulled under your teeth <laughs> versus laughing the way a lot of people do where a smile is a lot of your muscles pulling upwards over your top teeth yeah so laughing loud wide enough to let your mouth hang open and your bottom lip pull under your teeth mm. <laughs> you know it's a very aggressive sort of look versus another thing it's yeah. like it's like um the way you express frustration do do we really show it a lot or is a lot of what we don't show people and what happens underneath and things like that. It's, it's a lot of very careful, careful. The performances are so precise and careful, but it's not done through multiple takes and perfection and all this stuff like other people. Was, I mean, right. There probably are multiple takes, but it's done through passion for people feeling genuine in yeah. the story they're telling, working and rehearsing and that kind of thing. Yes. And the dude is super young. Super talented. I really want to see his other movies. The only one I could get my hands on was Mommy. And Mommy 
was infamous when it came out that year for pulling off the trick with one by one aspect ratio and using it the way that they did. Yeah. And I don't want to explain what they did overly other than I will explain that the point of it is entirely up to the viewer and is in multiple ways can be perceived based on how it impacts you. I will just tell you it does not stay one by one the entire movie. Yeah, I think um, the way that I can describe it for myself is that the aspect ratio kind of uh, is a visual representation of the relationship of the mother and son character throughout the film. Yeah, I see it as just, it's like, it's almost like a meter for pressure. That too. Yeah. Like like, like you said, it, it, it could mean multi- it, it multiple could mean things. Multiple, at any different instances. Like, it's it's. Like it it, it 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 could mean the difference between the relief of of tension or pressure being put back on on the family. It could mean a happy thought creeping in, or it. it... Well, it also it, it carefully frames what you're supposed to be paying attention to. Supposed to being a a difficult word to use. Yes. Um. The only other director I've seen mess with as- aspect ratios even similar to this would be Wes Anderson. Yeah. But because uh, I'm trying to think, because like so, for example. One of the times when the aspect ratio changes, it goes from open to shut. Yes. Right? By the time it's closed, you can't see anything but the mom. Not even the drawer that holds the thing that's the reason the aspect ratio is changing. Right. It, it's it's compact. For it's one, a- the movie is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, the choice of music is, like, perfect to me. I, I, every song they choose, and then every instrumental score piece they choose. Yes. It's very deliberate and very intentional in meaning as, yeah. as well for each of the songs and, and, and traditional scores. The only bitterly confusing thing for me is the framework of the movie is based around a fictional future. Yes. But not far future. Barely two years post where the movie is set, which is in like 2013, 2014. Right. Just so that they can introduce a hypothetical, which is what if it was legal for you to drop your kid off to be governed, like, parented by the government, mm-hmm. and have there be no repercussion against you. Right. And the problem, the thing is, in America, <laughs> we don't actually have those options, but we do. You you have the ability to um, surrender your rights if you get involved with child protection agencies and things like that. And that's what this movie is, is a... A child with an attachment disorder who's the most extreme teenager you can. He's home from school because he set a fire to the school. And he's constantly pushing around, attempting to be overtly sexual with the neighbors. Like, screaming. uh, Like, jumping on top of a car and trying to beat someone up. Screaming racial slurs at him because of all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when he goes depressed, he goes depressed so hard that he threatens to kill himself. And, like, all this kind of stuff. It's about a mother who... Is in exactly the kind of circumstances that are usually predicting factors for a child with an attachment disorder. Her husband has died. His father has died. And, like, she struggles to get by and does her best. Yeah. And her personality, you can see a lot of him in her. A lot of the way that she <laughs> shakes yes. off the way, like, doesn't care about judgments from the rest of society. Mm-hmm. Maybe does under the surface, but she has this, like, coarse, thick skin and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um... She's trying her best to be a mom to this boy, and the whole thing is, will she give up? Yes. Until 
you realize that you have to redefine what giving up means. Yes, but also, at the end of the movie, has she bought that redefinition? I don't know. I don't think she has for herself. Like, oh my gosh, man. It's, it's... Like, she's, she's saying the words and she wants to believe them. I don't think she believes them. I don't think so. But, but again, I, anyone could. It's just, I, I want, I want anyone out there who's ever even remotely suffered from the loss of a family member and that impacted the way they behaved as a child or suffered the loss of a family member and had to raise a child on their own Mm -hmm. or, uh, considered adopting uh, or fostering a child that's come from a messed up household. Yes. Um, or just really just anyone yeah. who needs to understand how to empathize with people who they look at as bad. Yeah. Now, uh, here's the big thing with this movie that I that I find most interesting is depending on who you are. Uh, this, like, with the, me and you, we had vastly different reactions to uh, this movie. Like, we, we, we both really liked it, but at, at a certain point, I was anticipating everything going down and i was stressed to the point where i just wanted to be out of the situation but i wanted to finish the movie well that's not far from my first time watching the movie either so you you had a different reaction the second time i had a a much different reaction the second time okay because i if you gotta think the first time i would have watched this movie would have been in around 2016 2017 okay which is right when i transitioned between jobs Okay. Oh. Uh. So, um, I'm a much different person, and I'm also differently experienced, and also, I this is more of an escapist thing for me now than it is... Yeah, for me, it felt like yeah. reality was bleeding a bit too much into the movie. Yeah. And, well, so that's the thing, is, so... The first time I watched this movie, I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> yes. And so I, I got to tell you, I legitimately considered turning the movie off as soon as I realized what the ending was going to be. Yeah. Le- like legitimately was like, but when am I ever going to take this whole ride again? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell you that since having watched it the second time, I kind of want to watch it again. Like now, like very soon. I don't know what it is. I think it's just watching real people. I I think there's so much frustration lately for me with people dancing around making decisions. Right. And it's not just that. It's people stressing over the idea that there's one right decision to be made. Yes. And that plays plays heavily into Mommy, Mm -hmm. where the mom feels like there's she's doing everything. Everything she can, she's thinking she's making all the right decisions, and then she has to make a very ultimate decision that she doesn't believe is the right decision. She has to, she's like, at the end, like like we said, at the end, end of the movie, she's still trying to convince herself that it is the right decision, or at least a right decision. Not necessarily yeah. the only one, but a way to go about it. Also, I'm going to say this very briefly, and mm-hmm. I'm going to let it go. Okay. I think Todd Phillips has seen Mommy. Because of the lash out of Joker. Anyways, mm. um, moving away. <laughs> in this movie, in this movie, every single act or moment of acceptance mm-hmm. is like 
is like a, a, a shaking thing to yeah. me. Like when the neighbor immediately sees them, it feels like the neighbor's judging them to me. And then no. But it also seems like the neighbor's trying not to and then takes a leap. And then like, it's like seeing that friendship grow between the mom and the neighbor. Yeah. Feels like they're working at it, but that's successful. Yes. And so it's just seeing people trying at something that they believe in and finding success. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. We just don't, we, we, we get that based on how large our scope of life is. And lately our scope of life is everyone focusing on the entire world at once, especially things that are outside of our circle of control. Yeah. And it's not until we narrow things down to what we can control and actually take action on them that we find fulfillment and that's what this movie is to me, is uh, yeah. fulfillment of of taking action to meet your needs. Yeah, and this I, like this is a good example of why it's not always a good idea to have a happy ending in a movie. And yet, I think this it's hopeful. At least it's trying to come <laughs> off as that, but it's not happy. I can't say it's happy. That's right. That happy is such a limiting range of emotion. Yes. For what this ending is, even sad is too limiting. That was my impulse to say. Well, it's not a. It's not a sad ending or a depressing ending. In fact, like arguably, there's there's it's beautiful. It's bittersweet almost. I don't even. I don't even know if I would say that because there's something about that run at the end where you're like it's pointless to run that doesn't make it not feel exciting and free for two seconds yes and that matters like oh Mm -hmm. mommy was released in 2013 you can find it in some online retailers and i just recommend as many people see it as possible just to have had the experience and if you don't end up liking it that's fine well please actually talk to us at tfnr what's the rest of it at, at, at okay so it's it's at tfnr c-m-e-l or you can email us at this film not rated at gmail.com so ride the tfnr camel on twitter and yeah, and you, I mean, freaking talk to us, anyone. Yeah. Feel, feel because, free. We we like me and and Erica. We we have vastly different opinions on on certain movies, and we just don't care. We like we just like talking about. Yeah, movies Curtis hates Star Wars. He admitted that after last time. That's why I'm not allowed to talk about Obi Wan this time. <laughs> this dude is since he's 12 years old. He's been going to theaters to watch him just to put up a facade, just so that we would be friends. It's I was I was. We shocked. didn't even bond over Star Wars. We bonded over fucking Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Harry Potter. With all that being said, I think we've I think we've stalled long enough. I think it's it's time to put Eric back into the gauntlet here. Yes, and I'm going to do it for a very interesting movie. Yes, and I said that before we went into the gauntlet. So now the music will play. Go. Okay. <laughs> I, I think need... this might be the first time you're going to ask me the questions from the gauntlet without having seen the movie. It is. So they're actually going to be questions that I'm going to be giving you cryptic answers to. Right. So, for Identity, Eric, is Identity a good or bad movie? Identity's reputation is divided. Ryan Hollinger on YouTube uh, delved into it as a movie that he felt was underrated. Um, and 
yet he doesn't discount that many people talk about this movie as being bad. He doesn't discount it. He doesn't discount it. Let that one go for now. Give it half a point, maybe. Like a fourth of a point? Yeah. Because um, I kind of cheated and just threw it off on someone else. Yeah. Love Ryan Hollinger, by the way. <laughs> Uh, what was your favorite hey, scene? Hey, Ryan Hollinger, if you're ever willing to take some time out of your schedule, even though you are all the way over there and be on here, um... You're more than welcome. That's like a dream come true. <laughs> so... <laughs> anyway, so, uh, question number two. What was your favorite scene? Um, I would say... That my favorite scene in the movie... Made... Me... Feel more of a drive than I had felt prior to watch more of John Cusack's works. We watched 1408 together not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And there are many movies of his that I consider guilty pleasures, like The Raven. Mm-hmm. And identity solidified for me. My favorite scene in particular solidified for me that I... It's a scene where that... John Cusack is performing um, being someone he's not. What scene should be removed from the movie? I would remove my favorite scene and a few scenes that connect to it from the movie for my own viewing experience. I'm trying to think. Being a little bit Weasley there. It's like uh, another fourth of a point. I'm yeah. halfway to one point. You're 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 two points away from one point. I'm two fourths of a point, <laughs> or one half a point. I could screw it up next time. Let's go. <laughs> who is the best actor and who is the worst actor? I'm I'm just gonna say, um, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Ray Liotta has to play a character that you can believe has multiple backstories. And there is a character that is left off screen as much as possible. So that, no, you know what? Screw this. Okay, fine. John Gusack is the best actor in the movie. Right next to John C. McGinley. And the worst actor has to be the person who turns out to actually be the killer. It's a murder mystery, by the way. Okay. Didn't know it was a murder mystery, but awesome. Uh, that means I have to watch it at some point because I love that kind of thing. What is the best quote from the movie? I feel like I'm failing to remember standout lines related to the murders. But I will say... There's a lot of dialogue in this movie related to decriminalizing um, the outlook on dissociative identity disorder. Even though this movie is falling into the trap of associating DID with uh, aggressive behavior and murders. Like people, a lot of times people with multiple personality disorders, like, oh, one of them could be, you know aggressive or a killer or something like that it's like a misconception that people are trying to have removed 
there's even like a petition going around about having Split taken off of Netflix instead of putting like a disclaimer or anything in front of it. And it's like, I don't know, that's a whole other thing. But I would say my the 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 quote in the movie that I think is the best. I'm gonna get buzzed again. I don't care. Is um the doctor Alfred Molina describing why uh a person like like a body mm-hmm. that is one person and then that same body is somebody else like can that body is the body held accountable or is the person okay so you haven't said a line but you've said what the line describes that's that's the gist of it i can't remember the yeah. specific words so i don't no i'm saying that's the best one uh, yeah okay so uh what is missing from the movie uh the screenwriter from total recall go ahead and buzz me please just that it's mm-hmm. missing the screen i'll explain later uh um uh, just to be clear you're, you you mean the the 90s total recall right yeah okay no i mean the that's it that's a... oh wait no i no, i don't want to talk about my judgment between the versions of total recall you Trying to trap me? No. Uh, I mean, the screenwriter was... I refuse uh, to answer that question. Let's see. I'm trying. Uh, what did you enjoy from the story? This is another weirdly worded one because... Yeah, what see. did I enjoy? Yeah. Uh, well, no, because the point here is... is So, the real wording of this question would be, what was enjoyable about the story? So, as soon as I tell you what I what I thought was enjoyable about the story, it becomes a, someone else could not think it's enjoyable, and that's the right. thing. So, um, what I think was enjoyable about the story, my experience, my experience of trying to piece together how what was happening at the motel was a translation to something happening in someone's mind. Mm. Um was satisfying to me. I mean, you're saying it's about you. I can't budge yep. you for that, so. Yep. Uh, da, 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 da. This is always a fun one. What did you, uh, did you learn anything about making movies from watching Identity? Yes, I did. Oh, what did you learn then? <laughs> That's what I'll say. Um, so, um, what what did I learn, if anything, about making movies? Um, I I learned between this movie mm-hmm. and Urban Legend. Okay. I feel like if you're going to hinge the climax of your movie around a twist. Um, ending the movie on a second major twist can be confusing. Can be, not is confusing. I think there's enough wiggle room to take out That's the That's another third quarter. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, if someone's like, no, it can't be. I know how I feel. <laughs> you know, like, there's going to be somebody out there. Right. So, I'd... What would make you watch this again? Um, I would watch Identity again again if I felt like it was worth 
editing to get the story that I think I want to see from it. Okay. And now the question that I, I, I gotta know, I have to know this. Would Nicolas Cage make this a better movie? Well, I'll go ahead and give you the cop out so I don't get another buzz. It depends on which character he plays. Fair enough. It's an ensemble cast. So I feel like anytime there's an ensemble cast, I feel like if you say that, then that's yeah, an objective way to get out of the question. You could say the same thing about Nicolas Cage with, say, uh, Escape from New York, where depending on who he's playing in that. Right. But if he's not playing Snake Plissken, it's not going to overhaul the whole movie. Like right, right, right. Nine primary characters, and each one of them is weighing in on one another. Wait, nine in identity. There are nine. Yes. Like, wow. And um, and they're all sort of weighing in on one another, and and mm. you don't know which one the murderer is. So like, you please place him in the shoes of any right. other one. Right. Okay. You know, there's a couple where the girl, uh, uh like, uh, told the boyfriend she's pregnant. And so they went and got married, and on their way back, they got caught in the same storm as everyone else, and that's how they ended up at the hotel. Then she admits, while they're there, she lied about being pregnant so he'd marry her. Okay, if Nicolas Cage is the one pretending to be pregnant, mm-hmm. that's a one kind of movie. If Nicolas Cage was acting against that kind of thing, mm-hmm. it's a whole other movie. Yeah. If he's the killer, it's a whole other movie. If he's Ray Liotta, it's a whole other movie. Like, depending on who he plays, it's it's, it's dramatically alters the tone of what's going on okay. versus altering that character in the movie. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Um, so here's the deal with identity. Um, nine people uh, of varying backstories end up uh, reined in where roads are flooded uh, backwards and forwards, and they all have to stay at this one motel for the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and an actor I really love, uh, who he plays the clerk who runs the place. There's a girl who's sort of a um, con artist, mm-hmm. uh, like steals money from people. But the thing is, you open, and you know that that night they're having an emergency hearing to appeal the death penalty for someone who has dissociative identity disorder. Okay. And a person is supposed to be traveling to bring that prisoner to the hearing. But the storm, they lead you to believe that the storm diverts them to stay at the motel. And then about halfway through the movie, Mm -hmm. the prisoner makes it to the hearing. And it's not the person at all that's at the hotel. Okay. And it raises the question of why are we following these two different stories? And then I'm going to go ahead and spoil the first twist. Because again, this is what kind of... warrants talking about this movie you find out everything going on at the hotel is sorting out identity issues they are the identities of the person who's on trial okay so all this happening in this hotel isn't going on in their mind and yet depending on whether you are going to give credit to it as a a legitimate uh, mental health concern for consideration they are not the same person that killed people. Okay. You know? Yeah. So the hearing is, is this valid or not? Because if so, the killer may not be present anymore. 
Right. So can you hold the person accountable if they're not the one who committed the act? Even though they, it's the same body that right. committed the act. Right. It, it, it's... That's fascinating. Right, yeah, like saying like like saying you're going with an insanity plea is is isn't quite right here. It's a whole different concept. Right. Yeah. So it's it's Alfred Molina's psychiatrist and um or psychologist. I don't necessarily know which role specifically, but um the what's going on here is you understand towards the end that the stakes are that uh, the killer persona if it wins then the body dies because he's going to the to have the death penalty executed the next day. Right. So the concept, the stakes are everyone or no one. Like, you know, and and I, so I guess I won't tell you the second twist, but I'll tell you that it's really freaking dumb. I, I just based on what you're telling me, I have an idea of what the second twist is. is I'm not it? gonna. I'm not gonna say it. Guess in, it. Uh. Mm, it's gonna have to do something with the personality, so it's 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 either the twist is he gets off, but the thing is still there, so that's a twist, right? But that's predictable. Yeah, no. So 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 that's the thing. I, I the only reason you're not gonna be able to guess the twist because I've never even told you the character of the character that is the actual killer. Okay. Uh, but that's the thing is Ray Liotta. About uh, three quarters of the way through, mm-hmm. you find out that his character was a prisoner pretending to be a cop toting his prisoner partner. So, like, the story in their head, Mm -hmm. these two guys killed the police officer that was transporting them. Mm -hmm. So when he pulled in, he looked like the police officer that's supposed to be transporting the guy who's supposed to be on death row. Okay. But that's not what the story is at all. And you think Ray Liotta's probably the murderer because he killed the police officer and whatnot. Mm. Okay. And just the bummer is that that's not the case. Okay. But that's the thing is Ray Liotta is balancing believability in these aspects. Right. And, you know, it it doesn't demand a ton. But my favorite scene is John Cusack emerges. His identity becomes present in the room while they're having the hearing. He's the only one. Okay. So there's a moment where John Cusack has to play not him. The actor who's the actual body. Uh Uh-huh. Is the guy from Constantine who can't drink water. So John Cusack becomes aware of what's going on. Everyone has the same birth date and things like that. But here's the thing. I think you could have an hour and 10, hour and 20 minute movie here. If you just removed all that. Right. If you remove the whole identity thing. And you just let people kill off. And let the Ray Liotta twist play out as the twist of the movie. Mm-hmm. And you just have people like die. You, I, I really think you could actually cut that out, and and that would be it. Um, you know, like I think there's a few little cuts you have to make here and there about like the stuff that they're finding out, but just it would just be trimming it down, and then you'd have a really tense, uh, quick moving thriller about there, a bunch of people pull into a motel, mm-hmm. and uh, John Cusack is uh used to be a police officer, but he's retired. Mm-hmm. And then this guy's pretending to be a police officer, but he's actually a prisoner. And so the whole time, the one dude is pretending to be a cop. The other dude actually was a cop, but now can't be a cop. And like they're doing that. And then there's like a parallel. And I think it works really simply as a thing. So you don't need all of this. But clearly the whole point of this is this other thing. Yeah. And so there's sort of a 10 little um, Indians reference. Okay. The, the Agatha Christie thing. It's like, and then there was one. Yeah. So 
the bodies show up they have keys of nine eight seven mm. six like of the room numbers mm. in them on the keys and so at one point they think it's the hotel clerk and all that kind of stuff and back and forth but the 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 question that it raises is interesting the way that it plays out is predictable and then slides all the way down to shockingly dumb and then it's kind of like you realize that this thing was foreshadowed and kind of telegraphed but really it's just yeah um there there are disappointing factors but the overall tone of it this like rain soaked motel at night and it's like a early 2000s studio feeling thing mm-hmm. there's something about it that feels weirdly comfortable and safe to watch mm. um like with a little bit of just like crazy gore like or not gore but just like they leave the prisoner that they've been transferring alone in a room for two seconds alone they come back in and a baseball bat's been shoved down his throat it's like whoa that image and it's all practical and it's uh, like cool like it's, it's it's like it's just like a freaky little horror movie that takes some weird swings at some theories and it tries to do something original and in the end it just kind of shows that john cusack was like a star in a time where hollywood was changing yeah and a lot of what was coming out that was really commercial wasn't really like star power vehicles. So I'm Eric. You can find me at High Contrast uh, FLM, High Contrast FLM on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's links to all my other medias. And I'm Curtis. The main two things you can follow me on is uh, at Twitter at 90sGamer407 and on Twitch. Where I uh, have a video game streaming session, uh, which I now call Games and Whiskey, where I play games and drink whiskey while doing it. You, you, you can watch me play these games on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 11.30 to 2 in the morning. That's going to be changing up soon, though, uh, because my, my, my work schedule is about to change up until August. But, uh, yeah. And remember, we're a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, and you can find this podcast where please come share your experience with us, tell us what you like about movies, and enjoy the ride. Um, TFNR, CMEL. Yep. We hope to hear from you all soon.